0: The following message was given by Shelby Murphy on Sunday, September 23rd at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. I am not Robert, and that was not Philippians, just in case you were wondering. So, we just started a new sermon series around here in Philippians, so as things would go, um, we're... We're having a little one-off this week. Um, uh, Robert is returning from a men's retreat that he was leading in um, uh, upstate New York this past week. So uh, he asked me if I would jump in today as sort of, with a sort of one-off uh, sermon, but not necessarily a um, Philippians. Uh, he wants to be able to jump back in and pick up Philippians where he left off whenever he gets back, sort of continuing the thoughts and, and, and the, the themes that he has studied and um, uh, prepared for. Which brings us... To Proverbs. Um, I'm, I'm not really a one-off sermon type guy, uh, and Proverbs has sort of been a, for lack of a better word, a hobby uh, of mine to date. So, given the f- fact that, that, that I preach a handful of times a year, usually, usually in a one-off fashion, um, uh, in between series, um, today I just want to let you know I will be starting my own sermon series. <laughs> It's going to take me 31 years to finish, but I'm starting it today. Um, and it's going to be on, you guessed it, the um, a book of Proverbs. Um, some people splash in Psalms throughout the year, uh, but we're going to splash in some Proverbs um, uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the year. Ladies, don't worry. We will eventually get to that Proverbs 31 woman whenever I'm 73, okay? Uh, sorry. Sorry. Um. Um, But today, I just want to take some time to introduce this book to you, um, particularly focusing on these first few verses that we just read, which really tell the whole point um, of this book. So I want to spend some time introducing this book, as well as looking at these opening verses which really just lay the groundwork for for the rest of Proverbs. Um, Growing up, a book that I was fond of was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I remember we had to read this in um, a sixth grade and uh, I never did read beyond this first book. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with the book, you know, it's called a trilogy in five parts. Um, and so it's multiple books, but I always thought the first book was, was complete in, an, in and of itself. But I was, I was fond of this book growing up, particularly the number 42. Those of you who know this book know exactly what um, I am talking about. Um, in the book, the number 42 is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Now, to come to this answer, it takes on an enormous supercomputer named Deep Thought seven and a half million years to calculate. Um, unfortunately, by the time the computer came up with the answer, everyone had forgot what the actual question was. So throughout the book, he just, he just wakes up and goes, 42. And that, that's the answer to life. Um, now, now this is a relatively minor part of this story, but for some reason, it always stuck in my young, preteen noodle. Um, 42. This number 42. I, I became convinced as a 13-year-old that one day, whenever I turned 42, I too would know the answers to the ultimate questions of life, the universe, and um, everything. Uh, I would be grown up. I would be wise. Um, somehow, I had equated simply becoming older to having wisdom. Now, now, don't get me wrong. There is a particularly a, um, a particular type of knowledge and experience that comes with growing older, but the Bible doesn't necessarily call that wisdom. So, I, I confess, I'm standing here today as a 42-year-old preteen, still waiting for that sort of um, aha moment. When I know everything, when I when I become that wise sage um, uh, like Solomon, uh, which is which is probably why Proverbs has always fascinated me. Um, I mean, this is the book of wisdom, you know, and why it's probably sort of been a um, a hobby of mine um, until now. Uh, but now I am that magic number. I'd always hoped that uh, I would be, and I'm more convinced that my life will not have that um, definitive period at the end of it, you know, whenever I um, arrive and have all the answers. Um, as, as cliche as it sounds, it really is a journey or a um, path, a, um, a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson says. And, and this is what Proverbs actually um, uh, reiterates. Everyone is on a path. Everyone is going somewhere. Um, Life is a journey, and the end of it all is not just a a place, but it's also a, um, a condition. We are becoming the end of our journey. And Proverbs says that we are either becoming wise or we're becoming fools. And every moment, every moment takes us closer to wisdom or foolishness. And God cares about every single one of those moments. This book is is the voice of God inviting us into eternal life. You know, during the um, Old Testament, God spoke to us in um, uh, one of three ways. The um, a priest taught his law. the, prophet, the prophets um, uh, declared his word, and the sages or the wise men gave his, his counsel. Uh, both, both the commands of the law and the thunderings of the prophets proclaim these gigantic truths of God, the, the meta-narrative that makes sense of everything. But here's the rub. We need more than that. We live in a world where there are details small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophets. And yet they, they still deal with our character and how we deal with um, uh, other people. So, so God gave us more than the law and the prophets. He also gave us wise counsel. For example... Proverbs 27, 14 says this. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. <laughs> Honestly, what are you supposed to do with this verse? <laughs> we don't find this in the Ten Commandments. We don't find this in um, Isaiah or a Jeremiah. But, but God tells us here that a well-intentioned but ill-timed greeting can backfire poorly. And for some reason, God thinks this is worth knowing. God cares about our understanding of the massive truths of existence, but he also cares about the nuances that make a difference in our relationships, especially with our neighbors and in every one of our um, experiences every day in every moment. You know, and, and even if we, if we don't seek the holiness of the law, which we should, and even if we are inspired by the visions of the prophets, and once again, we, we should be, we can still make a mess of our lives. We can still make a mess of our families, our churches, our workplaces, our communities, if we are unwise. We need God's help moment. By moment, down at the level where there are no hard and fast rules to actually live by. What kind of man or woman should you marry? What job should you take? How should you spend your money? And through the book of Proverbs, God coaches us in the wisdom we need throughout the long and complicated path of our everyday lives. And it's, and it's probably the practicality of this book that we um, uh, underestimate, Uh, This book is um, indeed practical, but it's not simplistic. It's It's not moralistic. You know, what God is going after in this book is change deep in our hearts. So this becomes a gospel book. This is good news for bad people. It's grace for sinners. It's hope for failures. It's wisdom for idiots. This book is Jesus Himself coming to us as our counselor, as our sage, as our life coach. And He freely offers us His um, uh, unique wisdom. Um, just think back to how, how He concluded His Sermon on the Mount. Um, he defined the gospel as actually a call to wisdom. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Jesus, yes, Jesus is our priest. He's our prophet. But in the book of Proverbs here, we actually encounter Jesus as our life coach. Do you see him that way? Do you see him that way? Because guess what? He is the universe's greatest expert on you. He is the only one qualified to have that kind of say in your life. He is the best counselor for all people in all seasons of life. The Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be anointed with the spirit of wisdom and understanding so that he would not be fooled by um, appearances or um, a hearsay. Jesus has eyes like a flame of fire seeing through everything like we see in um, a revelation. And God has given this super smart expert to us as his best gift of grace. Jesus is the wisdom from God. And the wisdom we encounter here in Proverbs is more than 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 what we find in a fortune cookie. This wisdom from Christ is actually a matter of life and death. The teachings of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. What if we have all the advantages in the world but we don't have wisdom? If we have love, but we don't have wisdom, guess what? We're going to harm people with the best of um, uh, intentions. If we have courage, but not wisdom, we will screw up in a big and bold way. If we have truth, but we don't have wisdom, we're going to make the gospel ugly to people. If we have technology, but not wisdom, We will use the best communications ever invented to broadcast stupidity. Wisdom is the grace of Christ beautifying our daily lives. Paul said that God has lavished his grace upon us in all wisdom and all insight in um, Ephesians 1. So God's grace is a smart grace. The Bible says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in um, uh, Colossians 2. The wise way to live is not always obvious or intuitive or popular, it's hidden. And here is where it is hidden. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ, the power of God and the what? the wisdom of God. In Christ is both the power of God to save and the wisdom of God to live. The wisdom that we read about in Proverbs, Jesus lived. And if you call Jesus Lord this morning, your identity is found in him, which means that the wisdom found in Christ can be yours as well. One of the authors I I, um, I read this week said this. There's a practical benefit to recognizing that Proverbs speaks of Jesus. Once we recognize that Jesus is the wise man of Proverbs, we find a deeper, deeper um, uh, impetus for embracing the life of wisdom outlined in Proverbs. For we know that when we live wisely according to Proverbs, we are in fact living like Christ, being conformed into his image and reflecting his glory to the world around us. The imperative to live a Proverbs-driven life flows directly from the grand indicative that Jesus first lived that life for us. In other words, the foundational work of Jesus, the the, um, uh, indicative of Jesus being the wise man of Proverbs, Jesus living out and fulfilling the book of Proverbs, being the personification of wisdom in the fullest. Therefore, followers of Christ, you and I, out of that identity of being in Jesus, we can actually— Be a people who embrace the life of wisdom outlined in this book. We can live wisely, not because of us, but because of the wise one who already has lived that life. So, let's go back here to the top of Proverbs, chapter 1. Let's begin this journey into what is God's wisdom to us. These, these, first, these first seven verses um, um, uh, open up the whole book. And if you just want a, an a outline for how these first seven verses um, uh, relate, in there in, uh, first you have the title of this book in verse one. Second, you have the goals of this book in verses two through six. And third, you have really the theme of this book in verse um, Uh, verse 7. So let's let's get going. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Two things really to point out here. One, how this book communicates to us. Two, where this book comes from. Let's start with the first one, how this book communicates, the Proverbs. Proverbs are the literary strategy um, of this book but what is a proverb? Um, the the, the, the um, a Hebrew noun here for proverb is uh, related to a verb that means to represent, to be like. So a proverb is, in essence, a parable. And it's usually expressed in like a short, stubby sentence, uh, a short saying of practical truth that's easy to remember, that uses all sorts of literary devices—parallelism, imagery, similes, metaphors, even um, uh, allegories— all to engage us, the listeners, in an unforgettable way. In one way, it's it's a biblical virtual reality. It gives us an uh, opportunity to explore a real-life situation within the virtual reality of a proverb— before we actually step out into the real life and um, uh, experience it. Unless you think Proverbs are just relegated to this book in the middle of your Bible, every culture produces Proverbs. Even ours. Let's just do a little um, uh, exercise. Um, uh, Fill in the blank as you know it. Uh, Absence makes the heart grow. An apple a day keeps the Better late than beggars can't be. Look before you out of sight, out of the early bird gets the, when the cat's away, the, see all these proverbs that you knew, you didn't think you knew? So don't tell me you can't memorize proverbs. (laughs) Um, uh, So that just demonstrated, um, uh, embedded in our subconscious are these short, pithy statements. And if you think about it, these are the values that you are living out of, and you don't even know it. In a similar fashion, biblical proverbs are sound bitish, but they offer a, a lot more than, than common sense. Why? Because they come from God. They're useful for teaching and training and correcting. They're not just sayings think about it this way. Um, uh, throughout all of Scripture, we can see God giving us commands. We can see God giving us promises. We can see God giving us proverbs. A command is a, um, a directive from God that we must um, uh, obey. A, a promise is a guarantee from God that will always be true. And a proverb is a short description of of how things generally work in this world. You shall have no other gods before me. Is this a command, a promise, or a proverb? It's a command. God will never leave you or forsake you. The generous will prosper. Is this always true? It's a proverb. It um, uh, depends. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, Trimper Longman says in his commentary on, on, on Proverbs Proverbs do not teach a universally valid truth. O- on the contrary, Proverbs are true only if stated at the right time and in the right circumstance. Um, uh, in other words, Proverbs are not guaranteed promises for success. They are wise observations about how to live in God's world. And He uses these tiny literal devices in a way that makes us slow down and think. So, take this for example, another one. Great proverb. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Great, great words to live by. However, here's the very next verse Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So which one is it? Which one is right? It depends on the circumstances. It depends on the situation. And guess what? This is why we need wisdom to know which one to use. Next, where does this book come from? This is a no-brainer. Right up front, the book tells us. The wisdom of Proverbs. The wisdom on display in this book comes from Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Solomon wrote all the Proverbs in this book, uh, except for the last two chapters, just in case you didn't know. He didn't write those last two chapters. Um, And and 1 Kings 3 really gives us the story of the genesis um, uh, of this book. Uh, It reveals the source of Solomon's wisdom. Um, After his his father had died, God personally invited Solomon to ask what I shall give you. Right there in uh, 1 Kings 3 verse 5. Um, And Solomon responded in verse 9. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. And guess what? God was pleased with this request, and He promised in verse twelve, "I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise um, uh, after you." Um, now I know, I this is sort of all of our sort of um, a genie fantasy right here. You know, three wishes, i gonna be the smartest man in the world, and we see here. Someone actually gets that wish, and he, God makes him the wisest man on the planet. But practically, what did this wise and discerning mind look like? Uh, what did Solomon understand that made such a, a difference? Well, you know, the rest of 1 Kings gives us some snapshots into this wise and um, a discerning mind of Solomon um, that, that sort of help, help answer that question, um, What's it look like for Solomon? Well, he connected the Lord with real life, with every moment, like we just said, with all of life. He was probably the first Renaissance man. He was fascinated by everything. He studied plants, as it tells us, from the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of a crack in the wall. He studied animals. He composed music. He did not compartmentalize God. He understood that everything is connected with our creator with our creator and therefore everything is interesting. Everything points to a higher meaning and Solomon got this not by necessarily being the smartest person in the room but as but as verse 7 there in Proverbs 1 tells us he got it by fearing the Lord which we'll come back to. And perhaps chief among his many remarkable achievements was the writing of 3,000 Proverbs. Uh, Now, exactly how these Proverbs relate to what we find here in the book of Proverbs, I couldn't tell you, and no one could. Um, But but Solomon did not always act with with such wisdom. In in, um, uh, many ways, his life is a tragedy. Um, uh, Over time, he amassed over 700 wives— And 300 girlfriends beyond that, which still can't figure that out. Um, And the Bible um, alludes to the fact that many of these women first worshipped false idols and gods and practiced different religions. And over time, his heart actually turned away from the things of God. It's actually a great irony if you think about it. God gives wisdom to a man. That man becomes proud because of his wisdom. And that leads to folly, where he no longer fears the Lord. So perhaps Ecclesiastes is his heart turning back to God. So verse 1 is the, the, the title. But here, um, in verses 2 through 6, God really has, has two goals for us in this, in, in this book of Proverbs as you read it. And verse 2 tells us what they are. One is character formation— and the other is simply th- being able to think clearly. To know wisdom and instruction, that's deep character formation in our souls, in our hearts. To understand words of insight, that's having discernment. That's thinking clearly. And then verse 3 and 4 then this tell us more about this character formation. And verse 6 tells us more about thinking clearly. And verse 5 then is this um, uh, parentheses urging older and wise people to keep growing in wisdom. But let's, let's look at this first goal, um, to know wisdom and instruction. First of all, what, all, what does Solomon mean by wisdom? Wisdom is the Hebrew word, um, hakmah, uh, and it means technical skill. It means shrewdness. And we actually see a picture of this back in um, Exodus 35, where the same word is used to describe the skill of an artist adorning the tabernacle. So, wisdom is, is more than brains, it's more than morals and rules, it's more than just knowing right answers. Wisdom is skill. Wisdom is expertise. It's competence that knows how life really works. And the goal here, as you read Proverbs, as you read God's Word, is to know and grow in this way of life. Now, if wisdom is so desirable, and God's Word tells us that it is, then why isn't everyone running towards wisdom? Why is it so rare? And it's really because of the next word up there, Um, uh, instruction. This word can also be uh, translated discipline. It's correction. And who here likes being corrected? Who likes discipline? This verse should actually remind us that we are not born wise or disciplined. (laughs) We are born simple, we are born unwise, and we're born foolish. This is what Proverbs is telling us. And we get wisdom the hard way through the Lord's instruction and discipline, through being chastened and corrected. And who likes that? It's humiliating. It's hard to admit we're wrong and don't know everything. But this is telling us we make progress in wisdom to the extent that we are teachable, that we are humble. We are a foolish people pursuing wisdom by humbling ourselves under the Lord's correction. Under his discipline, under his instruction, under his word. This is what verse 3 tells us. We need to receive instruction from something outside of ourselves. Specifically, it's talking about here the Proverbs, but it also, the, also the rest of God's word to us. This simple humility, this this um, uh, openness, is how we gain wisdom in dealing with others, in dealing in having wisdom in righteousness, in justice and equity, and it helps distinguish God's choice in any situation, and also why it is His choice. Verse four then list some benefits of knowing this type of wisdom and instruction in our life. Prudence, knowledge, and discretion. What in the world does prudence mean? It sounds so Victorian. Um, Another translation of this word is actually shrewdness, which I I really like that word. Um, Shrewdness is a good kind of cunning. So this proverbs the proverbs make the simple, the gullible, the naive shrewd and able to avoid the pitfalls that they may run across in life. And the second benefit from wisdom here is knowledge. And this is offered to the immature youth And and the knowledge referred to here is something gained through the senses. It's knowledge um, about how the world works, uh, how it works in uh, relationships, in finances, in sex, in every area of life. If we have this knowledge, then we can adjust and we can thrive. And we can heighten every part of our person to the truth of God. then the third benefit listed here from wisdom is discretion. This term is used to uh, describe wisdom's um, ability to protect its possessor from the harm brought on by foolishly proceeding with an ill-advised plan. It's It's wisdom that sees through the temptations that come at us every day. So God wants to form our character in such a way that we can't be fooled by something that looks enticing but ultimately leads to death. Discretion instills in us common sense that helps us plan and work towards outfoxing our temptations. So verse 3 and 4 here are how we all start out. As beginners, as simple, as naive, as gullible. And then verse 5 just tells us that even seasoned veterans can keep on learning. They can keep growing in wisdom. God wants to form in every one of us a deep character this way. And his second goal here in this book is thinking clearly, to understand words of insight. This, this word, um, understand, it means perceiving through your senses. So, so the literal translation here is perceiving through your senses words of understanding. So if you extend this just a little bit further, this means that the non-obvious can become obvious to you, where things unclear and muddy can become clear. And isn't this what you and I want when we're in the middle of a gray area in our life? Where in these instances, the proverbial light goes off in our head in a way that makes our path uh, obvious. And a word that we sometimes use for this is discernment. God wants us to be able to look at things and figure out errors and folly and move forward in righteousness and humility. He wants us to be careful with our time. He wants us to be careful with our money, with our words, our family, and everything else that we devote our time to. And then verse 6 tells us more um, about this insight or this clear thinking. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and and their riddles, there's really an image um, at play here. So you you, you have to sort of picture it this way. When it comes to the book of Proverbs, we are approaching a community of, of wisdom, a gathering of wisdom, a group of people standing around talking together, men and women who are Yoda smart. And then we simple beginners sort of sidle up next to this circle of um, uh, amazing people. We see there in the circle of the wise Solomon and Isaiah and Paul and um, uh, Augustine and Luther and other remarkable people that we have all known personally, that we have all um, uh, admired. And we start listening to the conversation going on inside that circle. We overhear words and concepts that we don't understand at first, so we have to sort of stick with it to catch on. But as we do, we begin to to leave our shallow Twitter mindset. Um, As we listen to the wise, we actually end up growing. And as we grow, we become profound people too. And the reason for this has nothing to do with us or even the wise people uh, According to verse 7, the reason is because God is there. God is in the midst of this gathering. The wise are simply letting God be God to them. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. This verse is really the key to understanding anything in in, in, in Proverbs. It's really the um, a legend by which we move throughout this book. In fact, um, all the things that were just promised us in verses two through six only really come as a result of verse seven. Solomon talks about God here as Lord. Don't miss that. That is tremendously important whenever we consider this book. Proverbs and all the the wisdom contained within it isn't simply for people who believe in a God, but people who view God with fear because they recognize him as Lord. So verse 7 is really the theme of this book. And if we distilled the whole book into one bite-sized chunk, into one bite-sized proverb, it, it would be this verse. And this fear of, of the Lord is a repeated theme throughout this book. But what is the fear of the Lord? And we could probably spend the next three months um, uh, unpacking the fear of the Lord. It is that—it has that much breath to it. Um, but but the words being used here are actually suggestive of an uh, attitude and, and, and a posture towards God. It, it's not this sort of cringing dread before the Lord. It's not this guilty, "Oh no. Here comes the God. Here comes God. He's going to ruin all of our fun. Uh, I am uh, in for it now. It's not that type of fear. The fear of the Lord is actually openness to Him. It's, it's an eagerness to, to please Him. It's a humility to be instructed by him. The fear of the Lord is a willingness to turn from evil and change. It's surrendering to his will. It's one way we love him. This, this posture, this, this um, attitude towards God builds our confidence. And it, and it really, as Proverbs 14 tells us, it flows like a fountain to everyone and everything that we care about. And even exploring more what this fear of the Lord is, you know the structure of this verse is also suggestive as to, as to what this fear of the Lord is. Um, e- Hebrew poetry uh, was written in parallel lines. There was an A line, then there was a B line. And the B line clarifies the A line. So as you look at this verse, how does the second line help us here? The key is the word despise. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And despise here is an uh, emotional word. It means to show contempt. The fool shows contempt to wisdom and instruction. It is the arrogance of being above instruction. Too smart for counsel, too good for counsel, too busy for it. And this is really the first time that we are introduced to the fool in Proverbs. Someone who will be mentioned repeatedly throughout this book. And a a fool is not a person who lacks intelligence or lacks education. Uh, Fools can be some of the smartest people on, on the planet. Because foolishness isn't a mind problem. It's a problem of the will. It's a problem of the heart. It's a rebellion against God. It's choosing your way as the right way, your way as the best way. Foolishness is resisting the character formation that God has for each one of us. Fools fools binge in the sin of self-reliance, of self-determination, of self-dependence, and their only counsel is themselves. C.S. Lewis wrote this in Mere Christianity. In God you come up against something which in every respect which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. The B-line. A fool despises wisdom and instruction. This helps us understand the A-line. The one who is non-arrogant. The one who is non-trusting in themselves. Non-foolish. This is where the beginning of the pursuit of wisdom starts. The beginning of knowledge, instruction, and discipline is summed up in the words, fear the Lord. Even thinking about this word fear in um, English, this, this word has a range uh, that goes from one end of the spectrum to mean reverence and awe to the other end of the spectrum that means utter terror. But what is undisputable, though, is the fact that the basic premise to fear the Lord is to stand in a submissive posture and position to Him and to acknowledge your dependence on Him and Him alone. And this verse tells us that there's no true knowledge, there's no true wisdom without reverence and submission to God. So, so wisdom here really is the fruit of a submissive life to God and his authority, a submissive life to the word of God. It's the fruit of receiving the counsel of the people of God when they're speaking into your life when they're reminding you of the authority of the Word of God, moving you away from the position of you as ruler, you as the dominant authority that you and I both desire and sin to have over our lives. And, and, and really, he, he, here's, here's the rub. Here's, here's the challenge that some of you face in light of this. The price to get to that point where wisdom is the fruit of a submissive life to God and his authority and his word. Some of you see that just as way too costly. It's way too infringing on your territory. Because it's it's death to your narcissistic ego, and it's death to your self assured opinions. And the Bible calls you a fool. And you have a problem of the will. You have a problem of the heart. And that's what this book does. It alerts us and it presents the beauty of wisdom versus the folly and the foolishness of man. It's the same choice we are presented with through the gospel of of Jesus. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And as Paul is writing to the the Corinthians, this secret wisdom of God has now been revealed in Jesus Christ. And this is God's offer to us today. The folly offered to us is offered by this world, by the comforts of this world. We have empty promises versus the fully fulfilled promises in Christ. In our chaotic lives of the, just the constant stop-start, stop-start, short attention span mental habits with an endless stream of momentarily visible Twitter feed fragments of information, we have just simply been reduced to one splinter factoid after another. And we're trying to patch together some sort of elegant whole that's worth living. Isn't this exhausting? Doesn't this get hard after a while? And, and it's not that we're just, we're just fidgety, and it's not that just we're, we're distracted. And it's that, it's that our, our information, however much we have, is no basis for a life. We have a relational problem. We need Jesus to actually rescue us from our information. We need Jesus to rescue us from our knowledge. We need Jesus to counsel us with the wisdom that that, that comes from Him. Then we can truly live. And that's what's at stake here our living rather than our dying. And Christ is offering us life today through these words, fear the Lord. And we have a chance now to respond to this wise sage. Will we dine with wisdom? Or will we set the table and have a date with folly? This is the challenge before us. Because you see, the person calling us today to pursue wisdom is none other than wisdom itself, Jesus. And while the fool follows the empty idolatry of of the things of this world, the wise man follows Jesus and the good news of his gospel, his already components, his life, his ministry, his suffering, his rejection, his murder, his resurrection, his ascension, his intercession, the already finished works of Christ, the wise man holds fast to those and anticipates the not yet completed work of Christ, that someday he is coming again and out of our identity in Jesus, we can respond in obedience to God through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and souls. We can respond by growing in wisdom and understanding through a reverent fear of who He is, a reverent awe of what He has done for us in Christ. Wise people humbly revere God and lovingly live to please Him. Do you live your life this way? Have you experienced how freeing it is to humble yourself before your your superior, Jesus Christ? Getting down low before him. Because this is where we all belong. Do you fear God or are you a fool? And I'm not afraid to press you into these categories because this is what this book does. You either fear God, and this is the beginning of wisdom, or you don't, and that is the beginning of folly. Is there any portion of your heart that God doesn't yet have you fearing him rightly? Do you approach God and His Word with fear and sober mindedness and reverence and humility and awe? Because if you don't, we have an opportunity to ask God to teach us to fear Him. To, to ask Him to help us walk with Him wisely with that bread and that juice over there, we remember the cross where the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ, was crushed for our folly, was crushed for our sin. Where the wise man Jesus hung, dying in the place of fools like you and me, because he loves us. You may despise him, but he does not despise you. You may be above him, But he humbled himself for you. Look to him today. Look to him for life today. This is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of reverent worship, the beginning of life. The path of life leads upward for the wise. They leave the grave behind. True wisdom is walking with Jesus no matter what stage of life you're in, further than you've ever gone before. It's not risky. The only thing we leave behind is the grave. All we leave behind is our stupidity and futility. But his path is marked by promise every step of the way. And as we read last week, here again is his promise to every fool who chooses the way of his cross, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for another opportunity to look at your word today. And I confess that it is a heavy one for me. I confess that I am all too often guilty of thinking too highly of myself, too highly of uh, others, fearing what others think instead of a fearful humility that comes with fearing what you think of me. Father, forgive us for our pride, for our proud boasting in ourselves. Remind us today that we are born simple and immature and naive, and it is only through your movement toward us Through the founts of all wisdom and understanding, your Son, Jesus Christ, that any of us could be here today, that any of us could have any hope of you hearing our prayers. Help us today to have a healthy and a reverent fear of you. As we look at the cross and see that, that you take our sin seriously, you take our foolishness seriously. I was placed on Jesus and that you crushed and killed him in our place. Cause us to have a high view of you and a low view of ourselves. Fill us with wisdom and knowledge so that we may have prudence and discretion and discernment, that we may have long life and health and joy that we may have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Christ. Keep us in your word this week so that we can understand what is in there by your spirit. Keep it fresh in us so that we can continually be brought to a place of humility. And Father, we thank you we praise you, we love you, and we stand in awe of you today and all of what you have done for us through Jesus. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message by Shelby Murphy given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.